Today's scripture text comes from the first book of John, chapter 3, beginning with the 16th verse. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's not uncommon for people in the community to have a face that says, WTF? When I remark that I've been teaching sex ed as a part of my ministry here at First Congo. Folks are often shocked at that idea, understandably so, as discussion about sexuality has often been taboo in Christian history. Even more, they are intrigued that the Our Whole Lives, Sexuality and Our Faith curriculum is not focused on teaching kids not to have sex, but instead about how to make the best decisions for themselves, how to be empowered to make healthy choices, and how to communicate well in their relationships about their boundaries and decisions. People's eyes light up when I inform them that not only is our congregation open and affirming, but that the OWL curriculum is LGBTQ inclusive and talks specifically about safe sex practices for every kind of sexual encounter. Some folks actively speak out WTF types of exclamations. But the kind of WTF that we're talking about during this Eastertide is what's the future of First Congregational? I'd like to propose that one of the things that will lead us into the future is building a culture of consent. You might have questions about what the heck consent has to do with the church of the future, but I'm here to help explain it all. And if I don't sufficiently explain it, I give you my consent to send me questioning and complaining emails. In the era of Me Too and people speaking up loudly and emphatically about the vital importance of sexual encounters being mutually chosen and, and pleasurable, the work we are doing as a congregation through the OWL program is prophetic and transformative. I truly believe that this program prevents rape and trains people to engage sexually with others in ways that are respectful, responsible, and life-affirming. What's more, this sexual ethic is something that extends to all parts of life, as we'll continue exploring this morning. First things first, I'd like to give us the opportunity to experientially learn together about what consent is and how it works interpersonally. So we're going to practice asking for and giving consent as a congregation through an exercise that we use in the eighth and ninth grade curricula. Now, don't worry. We're going to be doing this very, very simply using a high five as the thing that we're asking consent for. 
I'm going to demonstrate with one of our youth as my high five partner. Everybody welcome Chloe. So, one of the first things is about uh, giving consent is that it has to be asked for. So, I'm going to ask Chloe for consent to give her a high five, and she is going to demonstrate what giving a yes looks like. Chloe, can I have a high five? Fabulous. You see how easy and cool that is? Also, now we're going to practice what it looks like to say no and to not give consent, all right? Chloe, can I have a high five? No, I'm not really feeling it today. Okay, I totally respect your decision. See? <laughs> how amazing that is. So, we are going to practice doing this with one another. So, I'm going to ask you to pair up and to say hello to the person next to you. If you don't know their name, find out their name first. So find a partner. All right, so if you have your partner, hold up, hold up. You guys are way ahead of me. This is a rambunctious crowd. All right, Woo. So. I want each of you to take a turn and ask for a high five and give a high five, okay? So we're gonna practice giving consent right now, okay? So practice that thing, go. Absolutely. Hey, Chloe, can I have a high five? All right. Now that you have all experienced what it is like to give consent, Hold on. We are now going to practice saying no and respecting the other's no, okay? So you are each gonna take turns asking and getting denied. Got it? Go. Hey, Chloe, can I have a five five? Totally good. So much fun. What I love about this simple exercise is how clearly it demonstrates something that is so often misunderstood or not well practiced in our society. Sexuality educators talk about consent as needing to be given freely, so not coerced, it needs to be verbal, it needs to be enthusiastic and ongoing. So, Again, with my high five partner, Chloe, we're going to demonstrate these different aspects. So first, consent needs to be freely given. So I am going to um, demonstrate right now what coercion looks like in real time, okay? So, hey, Chloe, can I have a high five? I'm not really feeling it. Um, but I love you so much and I don't understand why you won't give me a high five. I love you too, but I'm just not in the mood for a high five right now. Um, but you're being so mean by not giving me a high five. I'm sorry that I'm making you feel that way, but I just don't feel like giving you a high five right now. Whatever. You see how good Chloe did at instituting her boundaries? So good. So that was what coercion looks like, and it's not okay. Um, it's, 
Um, so the next thing is, is that consent needs to be given verbally. There needs to be verbal acknowledgement um, that one is initiating or is giving consent um, to whatever is going on. And so Chloe first is going to show us what silence looks like, right? So, hey, Chloe, can I have a high five? Um, I'm going to take the fact that you're quiet about this as being not consent. So I'm going to withdraw my offer. Cool. You see how that works? Silence is not consent. Okay. So now we're going to try the next thing, which is enthusiastic, and it is also verbal. So you're enthusiastically going to say yes. Got it? <laughs> um, Chloe, can I have a high five? Yeah. Woo! Now, the enthusiasm is going to be less on this one, okay? Hey, Chloe, can I have a high five? Um, I'm going to say that, uh, is probably not consent, so I'm going to withdraw my mm -hmm. offer. Mm -hmm. See how that works? So good. All right. The last piece of this is that consent needs to be ongoing and given for each new act. So consent for a high five doesn't necessarily mean that there's consent for a hug, as we are going to demonstrate right now. Hey, Chloe, can I have a high five? Yeah, sure. Hey, can we hug too? Sure. Awesome. Oh, see, that's so good. Consent given for each new act, okay? Because consent for one thing does not mean consent for all the things. Got it? So can we say thank you to Chloe for her awesome job? So, why is consent so important? Because it challenges our cultural norms that make us assume that we have rights to other people's bodies or space or time. It requires us to slow down in many different kinds of situations and recognize the ways in which we may be on the precipice of violating another's boundaries. Consent asking says to the person you're interacting with, I value you and I want to actively be looking for ways to respect you. Now, when we get to talking about church life together, you might be saying, Candace, what does this have to do with us here? Any ideas? Can anyone name a time in our congregational life where asking for and giving consent might be important? Anybody? Congregational meetings, indeed. <laughs> Sassy one there. Yeah. We've got a food aller allergy kiddo, and so feeding him, consent needs to be given, right, as we interact with kids who might have allergies. Yeah. Passing of oh, the passing of the peace. Ooh. Does anybody else think that that might be an awkward and uncomfortable and maybe even traumatic time <laughs> for some people in our congregation, especially those who may have uh, experienced and are survivors of sexual assault and abuse? Churches are sometimes difficult places to be a woman or a kid because people assume that they should have access to a neighborly hug or a lingering hand on the shoulder. We're all family in Christ, right? Well, our OWL classes teach our children and youth that they are the only ones who have the right to say who gives them a hug or kisses them on the head. But we often fail to train our adults to appropriately ask for a hug and then honor a kid's decision. We have the ability, First Congregational, to do better and be better in this way. And truly, I believe that this is a part of what we can hear from our scripture text today. The writer of 1 John exhorts his listeners to love, not in word or speech, 
but in truth and action. He is challenging the church that he is speaking to not just to tell each other on Sunday mornings, hey, I love you, peace, but to be actively searching for ways to act out intangible, um, act out love in tangible and meaningful ways. But what even is love? Well, we could channel the 90s dance jam and sing, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. Or, we could understand it as psychiatrist M. Scott Peck does, that love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. This definition is in line with the writer of 1 John, who says, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now, I don't believe that this extension of ourselves for another is the kind of abusive, self-denying iteration of love that has been used to keep women in violent homes, but rather is the kind of heart-expanding love that asks us to remember and to keep remembering that others have different needs and desires than we might have, and that love asks us to be curious and inquisitive about how to best love the people around us. The feminist theorist Bell Hooks says in her book, All About Love, that awakening to love can happen only as we let go of our obsession with power and domination. While power and domination might seem like intense words to associate with not asking a child for a hug at church, we've got to recognize the power dynamics between a full-sized adult and a 10-year-old kid, and the ways that gender, age, race, and class all play into that interaction as well. The agapeic love of Christ asks us to open our hearts and extend our minds to actively engage the other as if we truly respect and honor their dignity and autonomy. Of course, this kind of love that is called to actively attend to the cares and needs of others can be applied to more than just interpersonal behavior. What would happen if our systems and ministries and ways of doing things here in the church were transformed by this kind of love? And just a note, I'm not assuming that love isn't present in the things that we are already doing or that these kinds of questions aren't already being asked. But what does it look like to, to authentically ask our mission partners what kind of care they need, taking into account the power that we wield already just by being an established benefactor? What does it look like to love our housing insecure neighbors and congregants by allowing them to direct what solutions look like? What might it mean to listen long enough to our immigrant neighbors to hear what practical, tangible love looks like to them? These are the kinds of consensual, mutual, reciprocal relationships that I believe Christ is calling us into. And I'd like to propose that we must also take the time to listen to how Mother Earth is protesting our violations of her. On this Earth Day, what could happen if we as individuals and as a society decided to ask the Earth for her consent for the things we do? It might seem like a bit of a leap to go from discussing our responsibilities to respect each other's bodies all the way to Earth Day, but hang on with me here. The poet philosopher Wendell Berry says, while we live, our bodies are moving particles of the earth, joined inextricably both to the soil 
and to the bodies of other living creatures. It's hardly surprising then that there should be some profound resemblances between our treatment of our bodies and our treatment of the earth." End quote. We so often forget that we are part of the earth and are not separate from the rest of creation. Our very being is only possible because of the intricate and complex ways that the earth tilts on its axis just so, and the delicate balance of gases that make up the air that we breathe. We're reliant upon the food that is grown in the soil and the water that flows from our faucets. Our bodies are a part of this beautiful and threatened planet. Therefore, the deep listening that is required of us toward Mother Earth is actually a necessity for our very survival. So what could this sound like? Sweet mama, what do you need? Where does it hurt? Oh, there? How can I help ease your pain? Mama, I was thinking about doing this thing because I think I can make a few bucks or two. What do you think? Oh, that wouldn't feel good to you? Okay. Thanks for letting me know. I appreciate your honesty. I think I'll think some more about what I can do to get by that would also add to your joy. Mama, I really love you. What can I do today that would put a smile on your face? I wonder if we can take some creative interpretive license with another part of our scripture text today. The writer says, all who obey Jesus' commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. If we think about the thing that we say about Jesus, that he is actually God who took on flesh, maybe there are ways that we can imagine that God actually became one with all of creation in that act showing us that God is in all and through all and for all. If this is the case, then to abide in Jesus is to abide in the earth. And to abide in the earth is to abide with God. That's a whole lot of consensual abiding going on. <laughs> and so this is my hope for us, friends, as we think about what our future is together on this beautiful Sexuality Sunday slash Earth Day that we may be challenged by the requirement of love to ask for consent in our relationships with one another and the earth, to take a beat with the people we interact with and as we make decisions about how to interact with the earth, to ask intentionally, do I have permission to do this thing from the being that will be the most impacted? Another way to ask that question would be, is this action being taken after all involved parties have given their enthusiastic consent. If we can do this, I believe that we will be living into the loving and abiding that we are called into in community and with the earth. Honoring the boundaries of where I end and you begin, while also holding intention that what I do to you affects me and that we are connected. As we experiment with this as a church, we will do the justice work of deconstructing rape culture. We will do the peacemaking work of reconciling us into right relationship with one another. We will do the environmental work of healing our mother earth. And we will do the discipleship work of following the way of our Jesus by loving and abiding. Let it be.